Today, we're going to talk about my first full month with List Perfectly and whether or not I think it's been worth it. And we'll have some reselling news. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and as always, I will be your host. As I said, in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about List Perfectly. I've talked about it in a couple of my recent videos, but this morning I got my second invoice for the subscription, and I decided this would be a good time to take a look back at how I used the software and whether or not I thought it was worthwhile after one month. We'll also have a handful of reselling news updates in the second half of the show, but let's kick it off with this list perfectly thing. So to be clear, my use case probably does not begin to take full advantage of what list perfectly can actually do. And there's several reasons for that. Number one, a lot of what I carry is media items. So books, movies, CDs, records, those sorts of things. And the platforms that List Perfectly is compatible with don't all lend themselves to those categories. You can't put that stuff on Poshmark. It, most of it doesn't really work on Etsy. None of it works on Kitizen and so on. So I have a fairly limited use case for List Perfectly. I'm essentially only using it for one task which is to take my existing eBay listings and transfer, duplicate those to my Mercari store. That's it. I'm not using it for any of the other kind of cost of goods sold tracking or multiple listings on all these other platforms. I'm not doing any of that with it. So my obviously my use case is very different from what some of you are probably doing if you're selling clothing or some of those items where you can actually list them on multiple platforms at once, I can see where this software would be fantastically valuable because, spoiler alert, (laughs) uh, I think it's been totally worth it for me to have in just this one month experiment. So I'm going to continue. I paid my second month. I'm going to continue with this process. I'm going to kind of lay out, I've talked about it in some of the previous episodes, but I'm going to kind of lay out what I'm doing with it and how I'm using it. And what the results have been in terms of the numbers of listings that I've done and what the actual business results have been. So I have an eBay store of, it is hovering right around 6,400 listings. And it's been at that point somewhere between 63 and 6,500, essentially since Christmas. When I kind of first got started, I, I was making the effort to simultaneously duplicate the listings I was creating to Mercari. So I was doing everything on the mobile. I'd create my listing on eBay. Then I would open Mercari and the photos were in my phone. So I would just go through and recreate that same exact listing. It's fairly time consuming to do it that way because you're obviously, you're typing everything back out, the title, the description, clicking all the boxes and all the rest of it. So it's a fairly lengthy process to manually do that duplicate listing. And my experience, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, was that bang for the buck, I was better served to use that time to create a second listing on eBay than I was to try to duplicate that listing on Mercari because I just wasn't selling that much stuff over there. 
So why did I decide <laughs> here in March that I wanted to really put a focus on Mercari? And the decision was, I've got 6,000 plus listings. If I could get most, if not all of them, over onto another platform, would I see a significant increase in my overall business? What, what would that look like? So I was watching, and I'll link to this in the description in the show notes below. I was watching a tutorial video on List Perfectly from Derek over at Fundamentals of Side Hustling. And it looked like a pretty straightforward process where it would transfer most of, if not all of the relevant important information from one platform to the other. So I clicked his link. I failed <laughs> to use the, uh, the promo code. So if you're watching this and you decide you want to take a, uh, a look at List Perfectly, there is an affiliate link in the show notes down below. Click on that. If you sign up, use the promo code 634. Don't make the mistake I did. <laughs> uh, if you use my promo code, you will save 30% off your first month. So, uh, but that aside, I went ahead and used his link, signed up, and got started. And I started moving, give or take, 100 listings a day. So I wanted to see what that looked like. What What is Mercari going to do if I really, really maximize the listings over there. So I've, I've used list perfectly to essentially do two things. One is to move existing listings from that catalog onto Mercari. And secondly, as I list new items to do the same thing with them, get those listed on Mercari. So what has happened is that in that month, I've gone from, let's call it 80 or 85 listings on Mercari from just legacy listings from trying to do it manually one at a time to as I closed out the first 30 days using list perfectly 2,199 listings. So just, just short of 2,200 listings, which is obviously a humongous increase in the number of opportunities I have to see some action on Mercari. So from that standpoint, was list perfectly worth it? Absolutely. There's no way I could have begun to move that many listings manually from one platform to the other. It just would be physically impossible without a program like this. So from that standpoint, it definitely checks, off, checks the box. Was it perfect? No, it wasn't. And I've talked about this a couple of times in previous episodes where I've talked about my use of list perfectly. Every day, there are at least one or two listings that fail to transfer some information. They lose a picture or they lose all the pictures or they lose the title or something in the description. Something something goes haywire. And I I guess I can't say for sure if that's list perfectly or if it's a, a flaw in Mercari accepting the information. But that is that has been my use experiences. I've like I said, I've talked about it before, maybe probably less than one percent. So not a big number, but every now and then you'll have to go back and redo a listing. Is it a big deal It, in the scheme of things? No, it's not. <laughs> uh, nothing is ever perfect. This is no exception, but it has worked incredibly well, again, to go from plus or minus 80 listings to plus or minus 2,200 in the span of 30 days would have been physically incapable of doing that without the software. So from that standpoint, absolutely worthwhile. From the financial standpoint, however, has it been worthwhile? And again, I'm going to say yes. Has it been a smashing success? No. 
And that is probably, and I've talked about this previously as well, probably more of a reflection on what I have listed and Mercari and Mercari's user base than it is anything to do with list perfectly because the listings are transferring over as you go through and edit them. They're perfect. So they're, they're absolutely correct. The pricing is where I want it. Is it where it needs to be on Mercari? Maybe, maybe not, but it's, it's where I'm comfortable selling those items. I'm not doing comps on Mercari. I'm strictly moving my items over with the current price existing minus the 99 cents that Mercari doesn't allow you to do. So if something's 10.99, it goes to Mercari for 10 bucks. You could edit it and change it to 11 bucks, but by and large, I've not done that. So Mercari has not been super, super great, but it has been a huge improvement. And just to give you again the frame of reference, in the six months prior to starting this listing project on Mercari, I had done $137, which given the fact that I only had 80 some listings over there is probably not that hateful and is to be expected. 137 bucks. In just the 30 days that I've been working on this project, I have done $606 on Mercari. So not quite a six-fold increase in sales. Obviously, my, my listing increase was substantially more than that. But as I've talked about in previous episodes, my listing flow while using this list perfectly to duplicate all these was to start with the most expensive items which you would expect to have generally less traffic on and work my way down in addition to putting all of the new listings over there. Probably my biggest success has been with the newer listings, the newer items that I've got in some of the thrifting haul videos that I've done over the last couple of weeks. Those things have actually done pretty well. It's the older, more expensive catalog items that I expected to be a little slower, but from my perspective, to have an opportunity to make a little more bang for the buck out of the gate, that was I was I'd much rather list the hundred dollar item over there than the five or eight dollar CD I have listed on eBay. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of my plan of attack, and the net result of it was six hundred and six dollars in sales on Mercari. So c- comparing that to any previous month, most of those months, like I said, six months worth was only one hundred thirty seven dollars. So that's not much money. That's $25, not even $25 a month on average on Mercari to 606 is an enormous increase. Is it where I want it to be yet? No, I would like that number probably to be closer to maybe 1500 a month. Um, but I still have over 4,000 listings to get duplicated over there. So there's an opportunity for it to continue to grow. So That being said, was that profitable? My average net margin roughly is about 50 to 55%. So we'll call that $300, $305, something like that in net profit, less the $49 that I paid for the one month subscription. So we'll call it $250 probably in free and clear profit, which almost made my car payment for the month. So from that standpoint, I would call it a success. It's not yet the smashing success that I would hope for. But again, my use case is fairly limited. I have a fairly narrow targeted inventory and I'm only moving it to one platform rather than multiples. 
And I've still seen a significant increase in sales on that platform where I was already doing a little bit of business and it obviously has produced a tidy, if not massive amount of extra profit. So all of that being said, would I, in one month's worth of experience, recommend List Perfectly to you if you're considering branching out into other platforms? I would hope <laughs> uh, that it's pretty obvious from the tone of the video, the podcast to this point, that the answer would be yes. I, I would strongly recommend it. If it's something that you're thinking about doing, it makes that process so easy. Again, I will refer you over to Derek's video for the tutorial on if you're interested in doing bulk uploads. Um, use my link, use his link. I don't care. Either one is fine. If it's something that you think you would take advantage of, check it out and uh, take a look. Sign up for a month and see what you think. Give it a try and see if your experience mirrors what I have had given the platforms that you think you might sell on. So again, unabashedly, I would recommend List Perfectly. It's been fantastic for me and I would expect it will continue to do so. And any shortcomings that I've found, again, are probably more a reflection on the platform I'm moving the stuff to than to List Perfectly itself. And the small niggling little errors here and there are not in the scheme of things a big enough deal for me to say, you know what, I'm done with this software. So all of that being said, obviously eBay and Amazon are going to probably be, if you're selling on those two platforms, they're always going to be the 800-pound gorilla. Those are always going to be the platforms where you do the most business anyway. But if you could add six, eight, a hundred, or not a hundred, six or eight hundred or a thousand dollars a month in gross sales to your business for the expenditure of a little bit of time and 50 bucks a month, would it be worthwhile? My answer, in case you couldn't tell, is yes. With that, we are going to take a super quick break so I can run an ad for List Perfectly. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I won't put that up on the video. I did that earlier in the week. I'm not going to hit you with that every time, but it will be over on the podcast. Then we'll be back with some reselling news. Stay tuned. We all know that one of the quickest ways to increase sales is to get your items seen on more platforms. But if you're like me and you have hundreds or even thousands of existing listings, the thought of transferring all of that information manually is pretty overwhelming. That's where a program like List Perfectly can come in really, really handy. I've been using it to transfer literally hundreds of items a day from my eBay listings over to Mercari, and it has been fantastic. I've seen an increase in sales, and I couldn't have done it without them. In fact, I'm so happy with how the program is working for me that I've become an affiliate for them. If you'd like to check out what it's all about, there's an affiliate link in the show notes and the description below. Be sure to click on it, and if you decide to sign up, enter promo code 634 to save 30% off your first month. I can't recommend it highly enough. That's list perfectly. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you want to do me a solid, please leave me a review. That would be awesome. If you're listening anywhere else, there's a link in the show notes to my Podchaser page where you can also go and leave a review. Be sure to check me out on YouTube at Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips and follow me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Thanks again.
news updates. So let's get into just a handful of weekend update kind of news for you. Uh, there is a great article on Vice. And as always, I will link to these in the video description and the show notes below. Everyone's favorite thrifting app. That's a matter of opinion, of course. But uh, everyone's favorite thrifting app favors thin white models. Sellers on Depop say they feel caught between wanting to feature more diverse bodies and posting the kind of photos the app spotlights. So uh, the, the article talks about uh, a seller named Emma Norland. She ran an experiment on Depop some time back where she had a pink tank top that she wanted to sell on the platform. She had it modeled by a friend who was 5'10 and had a 31-inch waist. The top received almost no likes or inquiries, which was weird for her shop, the article says, because it was already successful enough to be recognized as a top seller on Depop. She tried a different approach. Using the same background, the same lighting, and the same camera, she photographed the same item on a different model, this time on a woman who was 5'5", with a 24-inch waist. Quote, the top was miraculously featured on the by the Depop team on the Explore page, got 257 likes, and sold soon after, she wrote in a school research paper on Depop that she shared with Vice Magazine. Uh, the article says that Norland had accidentally stumbled onto one of Depop's blind spots, sizeism and a feedback loop of what items are posted, what the app features, and what items actually sell that users say reinforces body dysmorphia. Uh, as Norland recently put it in a recent TikTok video, I've struggled with eating disorders, all that good shit my entire life, and Depop definitely exacerbates that. So Depop is not, obviously, the hugest platform, and that has allowed them to maybe be a little bit under the radar on this issue. The article says... The app's relatively small size compared to major fashion brands makes it nimble in a constantly changing cultural climate. For example, after the Black Lives Matter protests of last summer, the app declared a commitment to uplifting black and POC sellers, acknowledging that diversity hasn't been fully represented, re represented on our platform. In a statement posted to Depop's blog in June 2020, the app noted that it had zero black people on its executive team again in this day and age that's pretty shocking really that you'd have that little diversity in your executive team but kudos to them for owning it and admitting it in their blog post um the article goes on to say as norland found in her own research and vice observed in their research the pages are predominantly filled with white thin straight sized bodies and maybe two or three plus models at a time uh, she found with like Norland found with her pink tank top experiment sellers have pieced together that they see better engagement and profit when their clothes are shown on a thin straight size body because those posts are more likely to land on the explore page Depop advertises that modeling your items is the best way to go with selling things mine are usually against a white background and I'll have like a basic pair of jeans and try to accessorize a bit to make it look how I would actually style it a different seller said, I definitely kind of lean in, make, make my waist look smaller. You kind of morph your body to look as flattering as possible in what you're wearing. 
I model everything unless it really doesn't fit, and then I'll do a lay flat. But they want you to model it. That's how you get on the Explore page. Depop responded to an inquiry from Vice that denied that the app's curation team prioritizes items that are modeled over items shot on hangers or as flat lays. According to a guide posted by Depop, flat lays, modeled shots, and wooden hangers perform the best in listing photos. Depop's guide also mentions in a do-don't column on model shots versus flat lays that using a, quote, diverse range of models so that more customers feel represented in your shop is a do. But that does not seem to be how the platform works. If you're a seller on Depop, I'd really like to hear from you. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube in the comments down below, if you're listening to the podcast, shoot me an email at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know what your experience has been with Depop in terms of your listings. If you model your listings, do you feel pressured to model them in a particular way or with a particular model? If you don't use a model at all, do you feel like it has hindered your success? I'd be really interested. I, again, I don't really sell clothing and I don't sell on this platform, so I don't have any personal experience, but this article really caught my attention. And in a space as diverse in terms of both age, race, ethnicity, and gender as the reselling space is, this is really, frankly, pretty shocking for me to read. Um, The one seller goes on to say in this article, and then I'll move on to something else. (laughs) Uh, I'm always seeing creators who start with like 10 followers, and I can just see that they're going to have huge potential on the app because I remember watching one person with an extremely thin living Barbie body just very tall model-like body and thinking she will go super far. And she did. It took our shop four years to get to where she got in a matter of months. So again, let me know in the comments below or by email uh, what your experience has been if you sell on Depop with this sort of an issue. Moving on to eBay. Uh, There was an auction up uh, probably a week or so ago of some Japanese internment art. So for those of you not familiar with history, during the Second World War, the United States interred most Japanese people of Japanese descent in camps, particularly on the West Coast, where there was a misguided notion that those people might not be loyal to the United States and that they might be loyal to Japan in the Second World War. So it's really, if you know anything about history, this is really a black eye, one among many, (laughs) uh, in our history. Uh, But there was an auction up of art that purported to be from someone who was interred in one of these camps in the early 1940s during the World War II period. Uh, The auction of a series of sketches drawn by an artist at the Japanese internment camp at Manzanar was canceled Tuesday after groups protested it was offensive and immoral to profit off the misery of incarcerated people. The auction was halted by eBay hours before it was to conclude after company executives met with Japanese-American groups who called the sale hurtful and degrading reminder of the mass roundup and incarceration. Sales of our history are never a good thing, but especially, are especially hurtful now when we hear cries to, quote, go back to your country, exactly what we were told during World War II, they wrote. 
Japanese American groups also got a New Jersey auction house to halt the sale of a much larger collection back in 2015. In that case, hundreds of pieces were ultimately turned over to museums that commemorate the forced internment of more than 110,000 people of Japanese descent for more than three years on again the dubious claim that they might betray America in the war. This particular auction was for 20 pencil sketches from 1942 to 1943. It was a little unclear who the artist might have been. There was some research that had gone into it, and one particular user saw these auctions and thought they might be from a former family member. She had begun bidding on them, trying to win them. Uh, on day six, she entered a bid for $82 trying to win these items. The price had climbed to over $470 when eBay ultimately yanked the listing. Uh, Aaron Thompson, a professor of art crime at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, said anyone who legally owns a work of art is entitled to sell it. But she said consideration should be given to the circumstances of a work's creation and the artist's intent. When the creator can't be consulted, a community consensus could be sought. She said the first question should be about the authenticity of the work, which can be questionable at best on eBay. Any investor not swayed over the provenance might consider the moral issues brewing. So you may have seen that in the news. Again, I will link to the article. Um, be curious what your take is on that. eBay can't obviously ban everything. They do a terrible job at catching the stuff as it is. Uh, kudos to the groups of uh, Japanese Americans who reached out to eBay to try to get this thing suspended. It does not say uh, the the writer of the article apparently reached out to the person who owns these works to try to see what they intended to do with them. And as of the writing of the article, had not gotten a response. So let me know what you think about that. Continuing on with eBay, uh, there's an article in e-commerce bytes, eBay unprepared for onslaught of sneakerheads. Uh, eBay has acknowledged but did not warn sellers that it is having problems with its sneaker authentication program due to demand, which has overwhelmed capacity. Uh, it also includes a glitch and a change in eligibility criteria, which they did not really publicly announce. I don't remember seeing anything in the community boards or in the seller hub as an update that the program had changed. As a result of this backlog of sneakers in queue for authentication, which is done by third parties, by the way, it's not done by eBay itself, Buyers are opening claims, and at least one seller said they'd received negative feedback from an impatient buyer. All sellers think that, and this has been what eBay has kind of touted this program as, any sneaker over $100, they're not going to pay any kind of fees. As it turns out, uh, an eBay moderator acknowledged in the discussion thread that the company had changed the eligibility criteria they have temporarily raised the threshold on eligible sneakers to $150. Quote, unquote, the change is only temporary and our teams are working around the clock to carefully inspect each pair so we can return to the $100 threshold. If you are a seller of collectible sneakers, have you got caught out in this? Were you aware of this change and how has it affected your business? Do you have anything that has been caught up in the delays? There is a series of comments on the various boards about items getting quickly to the authentication center 
And then customers filing claims for items not being received because they're tied up for inordinate amounts of time at the authentication center. So this is really, it's a great program. It's a great opportunity for both the buyer and the seller, but only if it works the way it's designed. And clearly in this particular case, it's a bit of a problem, which makes this next article really interesting (laughs) Uh, because eBay has kicked off a new event series to authenticate and showcase high value collectibles. Obviously this isn't necessarily for sneakers, but it's a bad, it's bad optics. Um, it's primarily for luxury watches, trading cards, and so on, but they are going to go around the country over the next couple of months and host authentication events. So they can't keep up with what they've already got going on, but they're going to go throughout the country doing on-the-spot drive-through authentication. Uh, eBay has announced today that it will host events across the country to authenticate some of the most sought-after items in these sales categories, taking place in select major cities over the next several week, weeks. Rather, eBay will invite enthusiasts to have their items authenticated on-site, mirroring the authentication practice that the online marketplace offers across those categories, assumably without <laughs> uh, the delays they're currently experiencing. We've transformed the eBay experience to reflect the change in behavior, ensuring the authenticity of the most covetable, collectible, and investment-worthy items in our marketplace. In each city, eBay will also give fans an all-access look at some of the most unique collections of athletes and celebrities, starting in Atlanta with basketball star Trey Young's collection of luxury watches. Uh, So there'll be more going on at these events than just the authentication. But the timing of this is not, not, not great. Not great at all. Uh, One of these events has already taken place by the time you hear or watch this. It took place April 9th and 10th in Atlanta. After Atlanta, they will visit Nashville on April 13th and 14th. So in a couple of days, Seattle, Washington, April 21st and 22nd. Las Vegas, Nevada, April 30th and May 1st, and winding up in Austin, Texas on May 7th and 8th. So if you're in one of those markets and you have some collectible items that you would like to have authenticated by eBay's third-party representatives, or you just want to go see what all the hullabaloo is about, uh, those are your dates. Again, I will link to this below if you're interested in checking it out. So uh, let me know what you think of that. Again, let us know if you've been caught up in the sneaker problem, or if you sell in one of the other categories, watches and so on, have you had any issues with authentication there? I did see, and it's not necessarily eBay related, that uh, PSA, the trading card grader, has made some changes in their timing for grading as well. And apparently they are also suffering from pretty massive delays. So uh, feel free to chime in if you're a card collector or seller and use PSA. Have you had any problems with their service? With that, that's going to wrap up today's news and today's episode. As always, if you like this video, do me a favor, smack that thumbs up button. Let the YouTube algorithm know that you enjoyed this video. It helps the channel tremendously. I'm still 20 odd subscribers away from a somewhat magical number for me of 500. So if you're new here, please consider subscribing. And as always, thank you so much for stopping by. And if you leave a comment, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on what you heard or saw here today. With that, I'm going to close it for today. And now, 
it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.